Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland and I'm so excited to be here with you. Anyone else have the case of the couch potatoes? (laughs) I know I do. After what seems like a busy spring and kind of early summer of traveling and weddings and gardening and home projects, I am now perfectly content to just sit on the couch, enjoying the air conditioning and a good book or TV show. And all this couch time had me thinking about how to create the coziest couch ever. So you can have that wonderful space to relax with family or to even indulge in some self-care. So let's chat about some fun ways to display quilts on your couch and add that handmade touch to your living room. Let's talk about where your couch is positioned in the room. So if your couch sits in the center of the room or maybe opens up to another space, consider hanging your quilt over the back of the couch to add visual interest as you enter the room. Or similarly, you can hang a quilt off the side or the arm of your couch so it's handy to grab when needed. If your couch sits against a wall, you can make a real statement by hanging a large wall quilt behind your couch. It acts as a piece of art and it frames the furniture. And if your couch sits against a window or close to other pieces of furniture and you may have a hard time positioning a quilt on your couch, consider adding one to an ottoman if you have one. It looks cozy and it's easy to grab when it's needed. Next, let's talk about different ways to fold or display your quilts on a couch. If your quilt has dense quilting, applique, or it used stiff or starched fabrics, try washing it. Washing and drying a quilt gives it a nice drape and that crinkle, so it lays across the couch effortlessly. And this technique lets you simply throw the quilt on the couch and it'll always look inviting and comfortable. Now you can also tuck the quilt into the cushions to act like a couch cover. This is a technique I personally use often since my couch sits with its back to the window. It's hard for me to drape a quilt over the back without it falling forward. So I usually lay the quilt over the couch and give it a little tuck so it stays in place. It looks nice and neat, um, but it can easily be untucked when I'm cold and need a snuggle. If your quilt has a distinct pattern on it, pay special attention when you're folding your quilt. You can center the design when folding the quilt to highlight the piecing or applique. I like doing this especially with my quilts that have rows of blocks 
so I would hate to fold a quilt in a way that you couldn't see the entire pieced blocks, so I always fold them in a way to display my favorite section of the quilt. Next, let's talk about size of the quilt. So throws come in all shapes and sizes, and people and couches come in all shapes and sizes too. So before making a quilt pattern, think about how big your couch is. Does it need to be a certain width or a certain length to accommodate the shape and size of your couch? And think about who will be using it. If it's meant for, uh, say, like a futon in the kids' playroom, you don't need a large quilt that the children may have trouble lifting. But if your significant other is six foot five, you may need to look for a quilt that's longer or rectangular. Also, if you plan to make the quilt for more than one person to snuggle under, think about making it square or wider. And if the quilt you've chosen doesn't seem uh, quite right to be the right size for your needs, uh, maybe you can add some extra blocks or borders to make it the size that works best for your couch. There are a few more ways to use couch quilts to add a special touch to your home. Couch quilts are an easy way to decorate for the holidays. So you can keep your living room neutral and then just change the quilt to highlight the changing of the seasons or holidays. You can also create vignettes in your room to tie the decor together. So for example, you can display a quilt ladder next to your couch. Your couch could hold one quilt and the ladder could hold extras in case guests are staying or kids want to lay in a quilt on the floor during movie night. Or another fun idea is to use the same fabric line or the same color palette to make a throw quilt for your couch, a set of throw pillows, and maybe even a table runner for your coffee table so that everything looks really coordinated in your space. So if you've already achieved couch potato status like me, <laughs> or you're looking forward to the hibernation that comes with the cooler fall and winter months, I hope some of these tips help you create a cozy little oasis in your home. So we're so excited to share all these tips because this week's Sweet Quilty Home Challenge is to create a cozy couch. So for those who don't know, our Sweet Quilty Home Challenge uh, is lasting 10 weeks this summer. It ends on September 12th. And each week we issue a challenge on our podcast and social media. So if you participate, you can use the hashtag Sweet Quilty Home on Instagram. And we'll also link to the Sweet Quilty Home page on our website in our show notes. We have details of each week's challenge and a lot of helpful content and videos. Um, and for this week especially, uh, we made a video showing all of these ideas we had for couch decor and styling tips so that um, you can see exactly what we just talked about on this podcast in that video. So we're going to take a quick ad break, but hang tight. Uh, when we come back, we're hearing an editor's quilting mistake, as well as some great tips from our listeners. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Now it's time for one of our brand new segments called Quilting Mistakes I Made This Month, where we share a mistake we made recently to see if our listeners can relate or even to share any tips we learned along the way so that you don't make the same mistakes we did. So today I'm sharing a little mistake I recently made. Um, And just a warning, if you don't like to hear about blood, you may want to skip a few minutes forward. I promise it's not graphic, but I I know sometimes you just don't want to hear about other people's injuries, and I totally get it. So last month, I was basting a king-size quilt. Um, This quilt was huge, and it was taking up my entire living room floor as I basted it. And it needed hundreds and hundreds of basting pins to hold it together for quilting, and I was getting really impatient. And I was also just really sick of being kind of hunched over on the floor. Um, I was sick of my husband and cat having to tiptoe past me to get through the living room. And my hands were starting to hurt with the amount of pins I was putting into the quilt. Um, And I happened to just poke myself with one of the pins. And I didn't stop to check if I was bleeding. Um, It wasn't a hard poke. And I just wanted to keep making progress on the basting so that I could just be done with it. Um, But it turned out that I did start to bleed and I just didn't notice and I had left little smears of blood all over the white fabric all the way across the quilt before I noticed. Um, So I quickly got a band-aid, but I had to just halt the basting process and I had to spot clean the quilt and luckily it all came out, um, but I was just so upset with myself that I didn't just take a little break in my basting process to just tend to the poke before continuing on with the basting and it just would have saved me so much more time in the long run. But it was a really good reminder to myself to slow down and just try to enjoy the process even uh, during parts I don't necessarily love like basting and to just take care of myself and my body while I'm sewing. I think it's so easy to want to rush ahead and make progress on a quilt but Sometimes just, you know, a little pinprick can be a reminder to take breaks and care for myself and make sure I'm not making any careless mistakes on my quilt. So on a more fun note, it's now time for Reader Tips, a segment where we share your best quilting advice. This is always one of my favorite segments because uh, when I get your tips emailed to me, I just kind of want to high five everyone because quilters are so clever and I love learning all of these things that you guys are suggesting. So our first tip comes from Shannon Wilkinson from Hollister, California. She says, I used to have a hard time remembering which way I was supposed to press my seams on my walk to the ironing board. Now I label a flat flower head pin with an arrow pin it to the corner of the rows and see clearly in which direction I need to press. Kathy McCoy of Abilene, Texas says, 
sometimes it seems impossible to get fusible webs paper backing to come off after it's been ironed onto fabric. Making a small cut across the back of the paper with a straight pin helps me peel off the paper easily. Eileen Stellhorn from Littlestown, Pennsylvania says, when I'm trying to work out color combinations for a quilt block, I cut pieces of fabric I'm considering and pin them in place on a bulletin board in my sewing room. I study the unsewn blocks as I'm working on other projects. Seeing the block in artificial and natural light over a few days helps me to decide which colors work and which don't. Cindy Eanes of Hedlund, Alabama says, Clear plastic trading card pages help me keep sewing machine needles organized. Their pockets are the perfect size for packs of needles. I organize needles according to size and type and keep the pages by my threads. If you have just a few needles, buy an inexpensive 4x6-inch photo album at a discount store. Caro Natalie of New Paltz, New York says, I use Christmas fabrics as backings on some of my table runners, throw pillows, wall hangings, and quilts. During the year, the top shows. When it's holiday time, I simply flip the items over. This saves storage space and makes holiday decorating easy. That's a great tip, Carol, especially with the holiday season approaching. Mary Ann Eisenhower um, says, I keep two rotary cutters in my sewing cabinet, one for fabric and one for batting. When the blade from the fabric cutter becomes dull, I switch it to the batting cutter. To easily identify which rotary cutter is which, I marked the handle of the cutter I use for batting with a piece of blue painter's tape. I just love all of these tips. So if you'd like to email us your own genius tip to feature on the podcast or our magazines, send it to us at apqtips at meredith.com. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're hearing a story of a quilter making a difference in their community and some great tools for basting. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More magazine, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share inspiring stories of quilters making a difference. Take it away, Allison. For many of us, sewing is a fun hobby that we enjoy in our spare time, and we can often take our sewing machines and tools for granted. But for those who depend on sewing for their livelihood, sewing machines are central to putting food on the table. When these individuals don't have access to machines, it can be devastating. When a tsunami hit Sri Lanka in December 2004, everything was destroyed. A story about a woman in one of those villages was recounted on the news. She had worked for years to save money for a sewing machine so that she could work as a tailor and make a living from her talents. When the tsunami hit, she was suddenly left without a machine and an income. Margaret Jankowski, a sewer from Wisconsin, was really touched by this story and wanted to do something to help out, saying, I could easily make a living without my sewing machine. That wasn't true of this woman. 
Margaret set out to collect machines that people weren't using and send them off to Sri Lanka. She was able to explain her mission on a local news program and was soon inundated with machines. In 2005, she was able to send five boxes each to five different orphanages in India and Sri Lanka. Not only did she send machines, but she also packed toys, medical supplies, and fabric. From there, Margaret went on to start the Sewing Machine Project, an organization that redistributes used machines. We look at ourselves as the ones who provide the tools, she said. In the 16 years that the Sewing Machine Project has been around, the organization has shipped over 3,350 machines around the world and across U.S. state lines. From refugee women in Detroit to incarcerated women in Mississippi, unwanted and unused machines are being put to good use. Margaret understands that sewing can be a way out for those who are struggling or trapped in poverty. It also leaves people feeling very empowered. You see it in the population that's lost hope. The ability to create a product is very powerful to them, she said. One of the biggest beneficiaries of the Sewing Machine Project has been the Mardi Gras Indians of New Orleans. This group is known for their elaborate feathered and beaded suits that they wear during Mardi Gras. So when Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005, they lost many machines and the ability to create these beautiful ensembles. It's an economic challenge when you don't have your sewing machine that you make your hustle or your side hustle with, said Margaret. The Sewing Machine Project has learned lessons along the way, such as the need to tighten up guidelines for sewing machine donations. The machines have to be fully functional. Before machines are sent out to recipients, they are tested and lubricated to make sure they're in full working order. Those that don't pass the test get sent out into the hallway of the Lutheran Church where the organization runs out of. Margaret gets 10 to 15 emails per week from international groups asking if they can get some sewing machines. She dreams of one day being able to start sewing schools in villages in addition to providing sewing machines. If you want to learn more about this organization and how you might be able to help, you can go to thesewingmachineproject.org. Thanks for sharing, Allison. We'll link to more info about the Sewing Machine Project in our show notes for those who want to check it out more. It's a great cause. Now we're moving on to Sewing Toolbox, a segment where we explore the basic tools you use daily in your sewing room. And since I chatted earlier about my woes with basting a quilt, I thought for today's Sewing Toolbox segment, I could share five tools that are commonly used to baste quilts and some of these may make the process easier for you. So the first is curved safety pins. And these are the most well-known and probably the most used basting method. So curved safety pins look exactly like safety pins, but they have a slight curve in the center to help you scoop through all the thick quilt layers easier. This method works best for basting large quilt projects and the pins can be used over and over again. The downside is that you have to remove the pins while you're machine quilting, which can lead to some starts and stops depending on how many pins you use. It's a good rule of thumb that if you lay your hand down on your quilt, 
it should hit at least one pin. The second tool is a safety pin fastener. So a well-known brand of fastener is the Quick Clip, if you've heard of those. So you use this tool to help open and close the curved safety pins. It has a comfortable handle and a little shaft with grooves that lock in with the pin's shape to push it open or closed without using your fingers or having to get your fingers in the way. So it helps make the process faster and safer. And this is definitely the tool I needed to keep my fingers safe from being poked. The third is adhesive basting spray. This is an aerosol adhesive that provides a temporary hold between the quilt's layers. So you'll spray baste the batting to the backing and then the quilt top to the batting. So it's much faster than using pins, but it can also cause a mess and fumes in your home. So it is advised to do it in a well-ventilated area and to cover anything you don't want to spray in the surrounding area. So the spray will need to be replaced after you use the can up, and if you're not using it often, it may lose its stickiness or the nozzle can get clogged. We suggest writing the date of when you bought it on the can so that you can always use your oldest can up first. Um, and you'll definitely wanna keep a close eye on this product so you don't run out when you need more because <laughs> you don't wanna be halfway through spray basting a quilt and realize that you need another can. Okay, the fourth tool is fusible batting. So this is batting with a fusible adhesive coated on either one or sometimes both sides. And this is really helpful for small quilts or three-dimensional projects that might be tricky to pin, such as bags. So for this product, you'll use an iron and a pressing cloth to fuse the batting to the fabric which is why we recommend you only do it on smaller projects because anything large can be kind of tricky to fuse and keep wrinkle-free in the process. Fusible batting and it, the adhesive basting spray can both add up in terms of how much money you need to spend because it's not reusable like the pins are. And the fusible batting is priced a little higher than regular batting. And the last tool we wanted to talk about is fusible powder. Now this is one I had actually not heard of, um, but this powder works in a similar way to basting spray, um, but without the safety concerns of the fumes. So you basically shake on this powder between the layers and then you press to fuse with a semi-permanent bond. Um, it's not a popular option, but it is available for those who would like to try it. Um, it's also easiest to find this option online since not a lot of stores or quilt stores may carry it. So we'll link to some examples of these products in our show notes so that you can check them out more. Um, I definitely think I need to treat myself to the quick clip. So that's it for today. Um, it was a shorter podcast than usual, but that is because our staff is busy, busy working on finalizing our December issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, if you can believe that. Um, we've been in the holiday season for months now in the office, so, and while everyone else is enjoying summer, we've been We've been deep in winter and holiday planning. Um, but just let me tell you, the December issue is one of my favorite issues ever. 
So I just wanted to remind all our listeners um, that we do have a special subscription offer that's just for our podcast listeners, where you get 60% off a year of American Patchwork and Quilting. Um, and if you subscribe soon, you'll be sure to get our December issue. So visit our show notes for the special link to subscribe. Everyone have a great week.